It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. All right, welcome into a Monday edition of Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, the only podcast that breaks down every Heat game, news item, rumor, and more. Thanks for listening on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or on the brand new podcast app, Himalaya. My name is Wes Goldberg, and I'm here with David Ramil. We're going to talk about Udonis Haslam's statement to the people saying that he should retire. We'll talk about that later on. But let's start with Pat Riley's recent comments after the NBA draft. David, we recapped the Heat's picks of Tyler Hero and Casey Akpala Thursday night. Uh, but we didn't get a chance to talk about Riley's press conference because we were recording during that press conference. And during that press conference, he said, well, he said a bunch of weird stuff. Um, one of these comments stood out and has been making the rounds. He said he's no longer looking for whales, but is instead looking for orcas or killer whales, and that his harpoon will stay ready. I have no idea what any of that means. But at least it got Heat Twitter into a zoology argument, whether or not, okay, killer whales are whales or killer whales are dolphins, all these things. I mean, the whole, all of Twitter spiraled out of control. Here's the thing. I don't think Riley cares whether or not a, an orca is a whale or a dolphin. Mm-hmm. And I think that's missing the point completely. But I don't really know what the point is. Do you? Uh... No, I, I think he's just trying to continue to obfuscate things. Like every presser with Riley seems like it's more and more. I'm not going to say meandering, but let's just say it's hard to get any kind of concise answer from him uh, about any topic, like whether it's a player's status or what his plans are during free agency or anything like that. And I just I don't know what to make of it. I my my assumption. You know, if I'm looking to this and, and the context of him seeking out whales in the in the past couple of years, is that he's no longer going over trying to attempt to lure a top five player or superstar player. I don't know if he considered Lamarcus Aldridge a top five player at some point or Gordon Hayward. Were, were either of these players like an alleged whale in his view? I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I, you can make an argument maybe for Hayward. I think. I don't know about Aldridge. I'm, I'm not sure if, if he qualified at that point when he was being pursued in free agency. Certainly, you can make that argument for Kevin Durant. But that's really been the only attempt that he's made for a quote-unquote to catch a whale. But now he's apparently lowering expectations. Well, is it lowering expectations? That's what I'm confused about. Does a killer whale... Yes. Is that something that is yes. bigger than a whale? I, I think if you're looking know. at... The, look, I mean, you know, you've read Moby Dick. You're looking at a sperm whale. 
Oh, well, shit. most people have read Moby Wasn't Dick. Required so. reading for me. <laughs> um, Moby Dick was, you know, it was a, a much larger species of whale, and I guess to, to you know tie it back to your zoology argument, killer whales are just on the cusp of whether or not they're whales or not. More likely, they're considered dolphins, as some people pointed out to us on Twitter. I don't feel that way. To me, Pluto is still the ninth planet in the solar system. But I mean, <laughs> killer whales are whales. Damn killer it. whales are whales. So I guess I'm um, just weird that way. So I don't I, look. Based on his comments, he he later would say in that same press conference that they're no longer going to. There's no sacrificial lambs. A, lot, a whole lot of animal talk in this press conference. No more sacrificial lambs. That he's not going to give up any assets unless it's for like a franchise changing type of player. And I was wondering, at what point did you give away assets for any kind of player? It's been the same roster for three years. Goran, the only thing well, that you did was Dragic, give away... I think. Well, you uh, get okay, so maybe no more first round picks for just an all star. It has to be a you know a franchise, I, I guess. Yeah. Um, I mean, that sounds nice. This team has no assets, so it's all <laughs> that's all talk. Another thing too, yeah. Um, so now I'm wondering. I don't know. Again, I don't know if he means. Look, it, there was a lot of words said, and like you and like you pointed out. A lot of these Pat Riley press conferences are just turning into a bunch of gumbledygook. I have no idea what he's saying. I don't think he, quite frankly, knows what he's saying. Um, at one point, he said, there are obstacles, but there are none, and we're going to hurdle over them. And I'm like, what? And so <laughs> it's the, the clearest thing that Pat Riley has said about any roster building plan in the last, I don't know, since LeBron James left was when he sat down with Dan Lebitard on ESPN and said, we're chasing two max salary cap slots for 2020, which is stupid because there are no good free agents. So what he really means is that he's trying to figure out a way to create two max cap slots for 2021. And that is the most concrete thing that he has said. And I've, told, and I've already voiced my opinion on his entire plan already. But these press conferences are getting weird. And I'm not, I'm not one to just sweep it under the rug. I think a lot of people are just like, you know what? He's just, he's, you know, he's just talking crazy. Don't read too much into it. No, this is not a good sign. I don't think any of this is a good sign. I'm worried. I, uh, I'm not so sure if I'm ready to to say that I'm worried yet. Uh, you know, I might, I still have some level of faith in Riley as a one-on-one contact. Like, I feel like if he gets you in a room makes eye contact with you and is sitting down there trying to talk to you, perhaps he's still able to connect with you on a very personal, deep level. Like, I mean, the younger players still, for the most part, kind of sense a, a, a level of gravitas from Riley. Like, he's a larger-than-life personality, and, and when you meet him in person, maybe that comes across. These pressers have been more, you know, they've exposed him more and more as that maybe he's not the most concise storyteller you know uh, <laughs> well the, I, I do worry I, I think you're right and look Riley does tend to get meetings but he hasn't this summer and this last year the Heat have not even been on the radar and that is what I'm getting a little worried about because I know that the Heat don't have cap space but you're not even hearing people being like trade me there you know like other than Jimmy Butler, well, there aren't granted, really many trade did. demands yet. I mean, I, I don't know. I look, I, look, I, I look. I'll be the first one to knock on Riley when it's due, and I think there have been plenty of mistakes that he's made over the past years. And, and I don't know if I have enough faith that he's going to be 
you know, luring people. He's not the lighthouse he once was, you know, bringing, you know, ships to port in the storm here. I, I don't know anybody's coming to Miami necessarily because of Riley or anything like that. And I don't think that was right. ever the case, to be quite honest with you. Like, he made a bold move in 1995. He, he fell ass backwards into a great pick in 2003. He made a, another bold move in 2005 to acquire Shaquille O'Neal, 2004, rather. And, and, you know, in 2010, I think Dwayne Wade was able to lure LeBron James and Chris Bosh here. That's right. That's right. He's got a um, lot of credit for it. And I think, again, there there are things that he does really well. And I think one of those is connect on a real human level. Uh, he's experienced he, quite a bit. In, he in seems to me more like a museum than like a place where you're going to want to live. Like a player walks into a meeting with Pat Riley just to sort of be in front of him and see him and have that opportunity to talk with him. I don't know that he is – I don't know that these free agents necessarily see him and be like, you know what, I want to be around this guy all every day. I, I just – I think they're – it's he, – again, he's more like a museum. You walk into his office and you feel the gravitas and all of that stuff and that's a cool experience and you might as well do it because it's the summer and you're on your own free agency tour and you're taking meetings. And now – and we heard Gordon Hayward after he – and which was the last big meeting Riley got was Gordon Hayward – and he failed to land Hayward for a variety of reasons. But one thing Hayward said afterwards was that, according to reports, told his agent that presentation is going to be really hard to beat. And they still weren't able to get him. And so I still think Riley can do that. My thing is, I think Riley's strengths have been... I don't, I don't think that we've been rightly giving credit to what Pat Riley's biggest strengths are. I don't think Pat Riley's biggest strengths are landing superstar players. I don't think that's his strength. He's only done it once with LeBron James. I wouldn't even call Alonzo Mourning. That trade was not a superstar trade. It, it was like Alonzo Mourning was never one of the top three players in the NBA. I would not like not like LeBron was. He was a very good player. I think he can acquire all stars like he did with Lamar Odom, like he did with Udon, uh, with uh, Alonzo Mourning, and you can even say Shaquille O'Neal. But uh, LeBron James was the only superstar he ever got, and like you said, and and I agree with you, that was. 80% Dwayne Wade. And so I think what Riley does well is the stuff on the margins. It's almost the opposite of what we think he's good at. I mean, fine, like he's actually really good at drafting lately. He's been good at drafting. He's been making good de- decisions there. That's why I'm willing to give Tyler Hero the benefit of the doubt right so now. Maybe, he finds maybe... these Tyler Johnsons on the margins and gets James Johnson into shape and establishes that culture and boosts up these marginal players. But what you need is a superstar to highlight those marginal players and make them even more valuable. But how many, I mean, this seems like a pretty specialized definition of what a superstar is. Like, who has those superstars? Who fits that categorization then? Like, no, superstars do what they want. That's the thing. I think it's, I, I don't think we're allowed to give credit to really anybody for landing superstar players. Okay, how about this? Go back to what I was saying before. Was Gordon Hayward during that pursuit, was he a superstar? No, he was the best free agent available. He's okay. an all-star LaMarcus player. LaMarcus Aldridge, same thing? No, all-star player, yeah. Okay. Best free so agent then, available, just so, all-star. So Riley's always gone gone after Orcas then, and that's the thing then. Like I, I mean, he got he got he went after one kill, you know, one whale in 2010. I don't know if you make that same argument. I, mean, I think in 2004 Shaquille O'Neal was still a, a whale. Yep, superstar. And I Tried don't know if, if you know maybe Alonzo never, in your estimation, didn't fit that in '95. I think he was a young up and coming player who obviously turned into a Hall of Famer. But um, you know, I think at that point he was. Still young, talented enough to be a centerpiece for a yeah, and he, and he and he traded for him too, and I think and that's different. Like if Riley's going to go trade for somebody, that's different than luring them, right? That's different than 
And, and I just feel like everybody feels like, okay, once Pat Riley, ha- Pat Riley has cap space, he's just going to attract superstar players, all-star See, players, whatever we want to call them. Yeah. And I don't know that that's the case only because he's only done it once before, and really Dwayne Wade did it. Yeah, and, and, that's, and that's, I think, like, that's a big part of it. It's like how much of what Riley does in a presentation, it makes a positive impact. I'm going to bring up what you said about Hayward. That was a great presentation. I'm sure it was a great presentation to, to LeBron. I'm sure it was a great yeah. Le- presentation to, to Kevin Durant. But what really lured KD to Golden State was ultimately the fact that every player on that roster was like, man, we don't give a damn about anything except winning rings. Who right. cares whether you're the best player or staff doesn't care about being the best player? You go in there, we play happy, good, share the ball, basketball, and, and we're going to win a lot if you come And that's here. what Dwayne Wade did. That's right. that's how Dwayne Wade got LeBron and Chris Bosh and all those like guys. They know and that's how ultimately to win. What, we got yep. you into shape. The present, yeah. the, the, the slam the rings on the table, the Pat Riley presentation, the Pat Riley meeting has only ever worked one time. And that is a fact. That's not an opinion. That is a fact. It has only ever worked once. And that was because of Dwayne Wade. And that's it. And so he's got to figure out other avenues. Let's take a break here. You're listening to Locked on Heat. But first... For the latest takes on NBA free agency, follow all of the Locked On Podcast Network hosts on one Twitter feed at Locked On NBA Net. It's an awesome way to get all the latest opinions from the local experts during NBA free agency. Follow along on Twitter at Locked On NBA Net. This is Jake from Locked On. Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Barea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Barea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Barea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. This question comes from Culture305 on Twitter. Medium fan, longtime listener. Hmm. Medium fan of the Heat or medium fan of us? What do you think? I think of us. Hmm. I have so many questions, LOL. Do you have faith in this front office with the weird things that they've done since LeBron left? Paying Wayne Ellington. When they have five shooting guards already on the roster, trading Roddy Magruder for nothing to just avoid the tax, give a roster spot to Udonis Haslam just because he took less money in his prime and was a role player, non-crucial in 2012 and 2013 on title teams, max Hassan and then reduce him to a rotation guy, still push Goran Dragic as our starting point guard, despite Winslow showing you what he's capable of, and the loyalty to Dion and JJ after overpaying them. This has to be it for Riley now, surely. A lot to get into, David, but... We're going to put a pin in the Udonis Haslam thing in a second because Haslam got to Instagram. And I don't think he was replying directly to Culture 305, but he was replying to a lot of people who basically want him to retire because they want to free up that final roster spot. We've talked about that in the past, but we'll get back into it. Let's touch on these other things because it is a continuation on what we were talking about in the first segment about what's the deal with Riley and and what do you make of all these questionable moves? I don't disagree with Culture 305. But I want to get to the, I, I. Let's start with this. Still pushing Goran Dragic as the starting point guard. 
That was a, that was a big takeaway from the press conference yes. too. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of Heat Twitter is a lot of Heat fans, a lot of media, and Riley referenced this, pushing for Justice Winslow to be the starting point guard. And I understand that because Justice Winslow is a starting point guard. He ought to play point guard. That's his best position. I just don't think that Pat Riley is going to say that in a press conference, especially with Goran Dragic going into the final year of his contract. If you want to trade him, you don't want to put him out there as a backup point guard. You want to call him the number one starting point guard because if you do anything other than that, it could decrease his value, or at least I understand the fear in doing that. Hmm. But even more so, if we are we are getting so hung up on this idea of point guard versus not point guard, who is the starting point guard for the Toronto Raptors? Kyle Lowry. Who runs that offense for the Toronto Raptors? Kawhi Leonard. Exactly. And Justice Winslow told me this. He said, I don't need to be point guard. I don't need to be a point guard. I just want the ball in my hands. He is he is beyond the positions, and I and to, to Eric Spolstra's credit, and even Pat Riley's, I think he is a little bit beyond the position stuff. And they're just going to put Goran Dragic there at point guard because you have to list somebody there. But it doesn't mean that Justice Winslow can't have the ball in his hands. That Goran Dragic play off the ball. So I'm not that worried about it. And we need to get a, a, beyond this point of these positional titles because the NBA. If if you're still worried about that, you're way behind in today's league. I, I understand that. I, I also, I don't buy into uh, that he, he's trying to, um, you know, avoid, uh, you know, l- lowering Goron's value in the trade market. Like, I, I think at this point, being, whatever, 31, 32, however old he might be, and having played at the level he's played at over the last few years, I think his value is pretty much stuck. Like, you know that you're going to get something out of Goran Dragic. I think there was plenty of people around the league that still value what he can do as a scorer. Uh, I think we've seen his defense improve over his time in Miami, and he still can make plays for others. So I don't know that labeling him a starter or having him come off the bench or or whatever changes how people are perceiving Goran Dragic. So that's not my concern, to be honest with you. I I think that's ridiculous. I, I don't think that's... I don't think that was his intention there to, to avoid. So what um, what do you think his intention was then in, in being so adamant about the fact that and going out on a limb and saying Goran Dragic is our starting point guard despite what everybody in the media wants to hear? What was the point of saying that? Uh, I, I think he ultimately does not have faith in Justice Winslow running the point. I, I really think that's what it is. I, hmm. I mean, I, I don't – I think Riley – still believes in those labels. I think I think he still sees Goron, a person that he gave up a number of assets to acquire in 2015, as a player that, that should have the ball in his hands, that should be the starting point guard, that should be your team's best player, etc. And so, I, you know, that's a concern because well, nobody else sees that way. I mean, maybe Goron might still be the best player on this roster, but he was hurt. He's getting older, and that's continuing. You know, that's not going to stop. So I'm not sure at what level we're going to see Goran return next season. I mean, he could be he could return at a high level or he could not. Uh, and if that's the case, I'm not sure where he fits in the hierarchy of this team. But I also don't but, think he should be the, the the leader of this group because that's just it's not his forte. It does just feel. I mean, the main takeaway, what, whatever Riley's intentions was, maybe it was just to say he is a starter for us. Yeah, and. Because there's also people wondering if he is. He didn't start the end of the season. Um, and it's just, it surprises now that I think about this. It's really ridiculous of Riley to, to well, I mean, again, I think that's why he doesn't have faith in, in Justice. Because he, well, we wouldn't even be talking about Pat Riley if it wasn't for a 6'9 point guard out of Michigan State. 
Like, mm. like he's been used to positionless basketball forever. And I, I think that's really ludicrous of him to kind of not be able to recognize that Justice is the team's best and point can, guard. And can we just, if you're Eric Spolstra, this has got to be annoying. It is weird. for Pat, If it wasn't Pat Riley, if you called Pat Riley somebody else, you know, mm. and and you had your president of basketball operations Undermine stepping him. in and say, yeah and stepping in and saying this guy is this position and he's our starting point guard you you know everybody's going to compete come training camp and and, you, and we don't and maybe Whiteside can win his starting job at all this stuff and if you're Eric Spolster are you, are you just sitting there and be like isn't this my decision you put the roster together like it's president of basketball operations it's not president of the head coach and if I'm Spo I'm annoyed by this, and I know that Spo and Riley have a they, they have a trusting relationship. They have a good yeah. relationship. I'm not reporting anything, but if this was anybody else other than Pat Riley, and I was a head coach under this person, I would be PO'd. I would be really upset because I would be telling him, "Hey, butt out! This is my job. You put the roster together. You make the call on picking Tyler Hero at 13. I'll figure out how to use these guys. I'll tell you who the starting point guard is. You're not going to tell me." I, you know, it's it's so weird because I just I feel like so much of the heat. The more we see the organization and sides of it, it's just it really is still like a family-run business, and and I think it is. you know, despite the fact that they're not actually related by blood, there is a definite a paternal connection there between Spolstra, I think, and, and Riley, and so there's Riley, the old patriarch of the organization, still putting out publicly, while the the son that actually winds up doing most of the actual hard work, yeah. Is there to kind of pick up the pieces and say, no, no, this is how we're actually going to do this thing. So, I mean, like, and, and does he leave the nest at some point? I do think that we are taking Eric Spolstra for granted. And I know I don't want to do this whole like Spo mm-hmm. defender bit that I usually do, but he is Miami's best asset right now. And there's not a guarantee that he's going to be the head coach forever. He could, he could walk. His contract is up some, at some point. We don't really know what the head coach contracts are, but. Yeah, they don't share He could things. leave. I mean, we have seen guys like Dave Yeager and, and Jason Kidd and, and Doc no, Rivers and all these guys just leave, force their way out. Mike right. Budenholzer you, recently. If you had to guess who leaves the organization first, you know, obviously by retirement or in Spolstra's case, you know, uh, taking a position elsewhere, would it be Spolstra or Riley? To me, I, I think it's pretty clear. If if Riley continues doing this and keep and keeps giving Spolstra this sort of roster, and if he strikes out, in 2021 on orcas or killer whales or whatever, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if Spo said, you know what? I can't coach five Dion waiters every year. <laughs> like I, I need to go, like there are a hundred different other organizations who would give me a good roster. And ultimately Eric Spolstra, I think could be one of the top three coaches in the NBA. I think he already is. No way. And I think he could be widely considered that if you, if you give him a, a decent roster, are you, this was the worst constructed roster in the league last year. I'm not saying it was the worst roster, but you combine the level of talent versus the fact that it had one of the highest payrolls in the NBA. It was by far the worst constructed roster in the league last year, and he had them within a couple of games to make in the playoffs. Give him an actual good roster somewhere else, and he would be far and away considered in much higher regard across the league, and I think that matters to literally everybody and um, that is playing in this in this league. So... Look, I just all I'm saying is don't take him for granted. That's all I'm saying. Let's take a break. We're coming up. Uh, we'll talk about Udonis Haslam's comments about calls for him to retire. We're just around town, all you have to do is tell your smart device to play podcast Locked On Heat, and we'll be there with you for the drive. This is Jake from Locked On. 
Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Barea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Barea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Barea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Remember to listen to and subscribe to new and archived episodes of Locked on Heat on Himalaya, as well as on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. If you're on iTunes, rate us, review us, say nice things about us. A whole lot of people have been asking, why does Udonis Haslam still have a spot on this roster? Um, we've gotten a 100 mailbag questions, David, about this in the past. Why keep giving this 15 spot to UD? Why not just hire him as an assistant coach? Blah, blah, blah. And Udonis Haslam is also clearly hearing these things in a lengthy Instagram post that he, he put up on Monday uh, I won't read the whole thing, but this quote stands out. So y'all keep worrying about that last spot on the roster while I sit back and stay ready so I don't got to get ready. I'm not saying I'm playing next year, but if you're with me, then you will support whatever I do, not tell me what to do or tell me what – or whatever. Tell me what to do. And if that ain't good enough for you, in the words of Barbara Wooten, bleep ya. So – Haslam is not, he's not. I mean, yeah, that was, that was part yes. of the overall statement there. He's and, staying ready. Uh, he hasn't made a decision on retirement yet, but it is, it sounds like it's his decision. I do think that the Heat is, are going to allow him that just like they have allowed him that for the last several years. And I think, you know, we never really got into the, the minutia of, of culture 305's question to us, but. You know, these are the kinds of things on the periphery that, you know, maybe maybe make Miami a unique situation. Is that they've been running le- lately less like a business and more like you know a family. And, and in that case, you know, the, the ability. I mean, look, I think Kobe set the bar pretty high for retirement tours, but Dwayne's came pretty close, and it wound up overtaking almost every other storyline last season and dominating how this team approached every game. And, and I think that that knocked the wind out of their pursuit of a playoff spot. And ultimately, whether it matters or not, you know, we we, we probably uh, realized that they wouldn't have made much of a difference in the playoffs anyway. Would they have been a better team? They that wouldn't have gotten Tyler Hero. They would have been not. stuck with Sekou Dumbuya or something. <laughs> Which you don't mind exactly, too. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure Tyler Hero would have been right. available at 17, too. But anyway... Um, so as far as Haslam's concerned, uh, you know, I think he's he's a part of this Heat family, and he's done everything he can to to define this culture in his own way. The same way Dwayne has, the same way you know other players in the past, Alonzo in particular, have. I, I think UD has done so much to kind of instill culture in the in the players themselves. We've talked about this so many times about his impact on the floor, not as a player, but because he's there explaining to guys what's going on. He's seen so much. 
And he shows up, and again, he continues to do the work. Like he says himself, at 39, he looks better than a lot of these critics looked at 19. And, and so he continues to do the work. He's been in fantastic shape every year since, you know, he's been in the He said he could sleepwalk into a double-double. Double. continues to outwork everybody. Yeah. And look, I, I think that might be yeah. overstating things a little bit. But at the same time, I think uh, that, that kind of dedication and work ethic makes a positive impact and and and, you know i think that's fair i think we should still allow him to be able to contribute if that's the case like who's the 12th guy you you pointed this out before with the raptors as far as who their starting point guard is who is their 12th man chris boucher is that who it is i don't even remember the guy the the guy who's actually canadian jeremy lynn's somewhere on that roster um (laughs) look and I mean, Lynn is a bigger name, perhaps, but again, like yeah. the twelfth player of every roster in this league, who the hell right. knows who these people are? Like, obviously, you know of their names, but they're not contributing at a high level. You did got some some burn last year alongside Dwayne that made our season for the most part. Uh, I think as as if he continues to play next year or not, and he gets some, he's not going to make, minutes, he's, and fine. he's not going to make Other an impact that, on the court, and he hasn't made the impact on a court for several years. But you know what? Like you said, I mean, let alone the 12th guy, Haslam is basically the 15th guy every year. He is the last one to get on the court from in most games. And look, we know that he struggled. He has struggled with that in, in certain respects. But he continues to stay ready. And that kind of thing sets such a great example for the rest of that locker. I, I fear to think it what does. this roster looks like, what guys like Udonis ha- or like what, what somebody like Hassan Whiteside does without Udonis Haslam in that locker room, at least mm. keep being a little bit of gravity to keep him closer to earth. And I think Haslam's impact is just that. And look, the 15th guy on that roster, so many people so many people have called us or emailed us and said, we shouldn't be wasting this 15th spot on Udonis Haslam. Can you tell me who the best 15th guy in the league is? Can you tell me what the Heat are going to do with that roster spot? Is Kevin Durant coming to Miami? Because if Udonis Haslam opens up his spot, like, what is this? What's the who better are you getting than Udonis Haslam at the 15th spot? He hasn't costed the Heat any money. Yante He's Mayton. a veteran. West Yante, Yante Mayton. He hasn't like yeah. Yante Mayton is going to get on the court now, and all of a sudden, over the the next 14 guys in front of him, and then become the next Giannis Antetokounmpo. Yeah, that's what's going to happen. I just to me it doesn't. What do people want with Haslam's spot more than what Haslam is providing? It drives me insane you're not getting anything with that you're not wasting money because he's taking the veteran minimum so it's not a cap space issue he's always the last person to resign because you could just sign him over the cap because he's a vet minimum guy so it has zero it literally zero impact on their salary not even a little bit literally zero and so <laughs> this is the reason why kendrick perkins stayed in the league for eight years after he was done in boston it's because he was such a great locker room presence people responded to him and a lot of these people who tweet in and look you and I aren't in locker rooms every day, all the time, as much as NBA players are, but we're in them enough. And I could tell you, that stuff matters. And you can walk into a locker room. And am I wrong on this, David? When you walk into a locker room, you could tell within 14 seconds if it's a good one or if it's a bad one. And every locker room that Haslam has ever been in oh. has been a damn good one. Yeah. They, they, they're they a little serious, but they also know when to relax and cut loose. And, and he keeps things nice and tidy in his own you know way. Um, we we've both been in locker rooms where there's obvious tension. Miami's is not that. That's not the Miami. If Haslam, if the, if so the Heat got rid of Haslam, speaks, he would be signed within a couple of days. And I, I think a lot of Heat fans are rolling their eyes at that. But there's a lot of teams in the NBA who would love to have Haslam as their 15th guy, hundred percent. Yeah, I, and and we've talked about this before. 
you know, Vince Carter, a name that's been, you know, attack, attached to Miami as a potential free agent. Nope. Not the same thing. You can't just add somebody who's older and say, oh, fill that same role that Dwayne Wade did. Vince Carter might be more of an impactful player on the court, but he would be a more harmful player off of it than Udonis. That's it for today. You can connect with us on Twitter by using the hashtag AskLOHeat or email us at LockedOnHeat at gmail.com. We'll be back tomorrow with some free agency primer stuff. And then definitely get some mailbag questions in now for later on in the week. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining me, David. You got it, Wes. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.